So, uh, hello, Rob. Thanks for being part of Ask the Right Questions, the sales and marketing podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. <laughs> so, uh, hi, Fab. Hey, Paul. I'm Paul LeFleur. So today, our second guest, uh, our second external guest, I should say, on Ask the Right Questions is Rob Geller. He is one of the owners of Promenade, and we have a bunch of questions for him. And maybe the first question, Rob, maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, Promenade, what it does, what you do, and we'll start with that. Uh, Promenade is a... Uh we specialize in design and marketing of a very unique handrail system. It's a modular system. And when you think about handrails, they, th they seem very generic and simple, but it, the reality is that they are extremely complicated and very few people from architects to the biggest builders in the world know how to um, design and install them properly. And they've been one of those problematic things that have just plagued construction for, for forever. And would you say you've solved this? <laughs> We're continuously solving it. Okay, we, nice. we've, made, um, we've made an inroad to it, but it is, uh, we've been doing this 10 years now. I got okay. my first phone call about it Christmas morning, 2009. Wow. wow. And so it was very incremental, and we were constantly learning. It's like solving this puzzle or, uh, that's constantly changing. Okay, okay. Yeah. And would you, like... Um, what, when you started the business, first of all, you're, you're part owner and you've got another partner. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what motivated the start of the business. It's great that you're doing this now, but maybe tell us a little more like why did you go into this and what was the purpose of it other than... I, I came into it just uh, prior to the prototype stage. It was my uh, business partner now and his uncle who started it. And it started like a lot of things where you have these annoyances that we learn to live with okay and we just tolerate them okay mm. and nobody says there's got to be a better way to do this mm -hmm. it's one of those things that's just become part of the you know part of the system that you don't think about it so what happened was this elderly friend of ours who lives in Westmount a four-story home had to put handrails in his house and he needed them to be, he needed them to be really strong but he lives in a beautiful house so they couldn't be ugly so he needed beautiful strong functional handrails and he went searching everywhere and couldn't find anything practical off the shelf. Right. He went the route that we now know, anybody who has the means to do it goes, it's a custom solution. It took him six months and $20,000, okay. which sounds very long and very expensive. And that's almost the standard, three to six months to get something like that done and that kind of money. Uh, stainless steel, custom welded, custom bent. So out of that, that misery, he called his nephew, who's a brilliant industrial designer. He's been in manufacturing for 30 years. Your partner? My partner. And uh, eventually... You can say his name. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> my partner, Kel Warshaw, who, who uh, invented it and is now the holder of all the patents we have. Um, he, uh, he called up Kel and just recounted this, this miserable experience. And being a retired architect, he said to Kel, it's got to do these three things. It's got to be beautiful or else nobody will look at it. It has to be really strong, which means the brackets have to go into the studs in the wall. And it has to be easy, which means that the brackets have to be able to be placed anywhere you want along the railing at any time. And that was, that was the mandate. That was the extent of it. There were a zillion things that he didn't know the implications of, et cetera, that we have since learned. But that was that was basically it. Beautiful, easy, strong. Okay. Um, and that became a real a real adventure. So about a year later, after trying various things, and uh, it seemed like an obvious thing. It looks obvious now, but it wasn't then. 
Kel came up with the concept and the design. And um, so I uh, came on in, I guess, it must have been spring of 2010 when he had the first prototype. And being from sort of a marketing and market research background, we just took our best guess at what type of business would want to buy this thing. And we just started showing it around. Well, that, and thanks for that segue, because my next question was like, you got this great idea, you built this, you built this company, you're, you're delivering it, but like, who, like, what, what was the first thing? Who did you want to reach, and what was the marketing strategy? Sorry for stealing your questions. Yes, <laughs> We're in this together, Paul. We didn't have a strategy. We, we didn't have a strategy until a couple of years ago. I like hearing it. this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was, we had no idea what we were doing. Okay. We, um... It was very sort of organic the way we went about it because it was a medical problem for David, the uh, okay. our older friend. Yeah. It was a medical problem because he couldn't move around. This is not a medical product. Right. I want to reiterate that. It happens to work very well for people who need mobility yeah. assistance. Mm. Uh, so our natural, you know, our natural um, direction was let's talk to the people who are selling home medical equipment type okay. of things. Right. And so, and we didn't even know who they were. We didn't know what the structure of the market was. We didn't know who the players were. We didn't know the business model. We didn't know anything. And we just started calling on them and just, they'd take appointments. Cold and call. Like cold they, call. Because yeah, yeah, you, you can find out who they are and you discover all kinds of things about the dynamic of the market and where you should and shouldn't be calling. But coming from market research, which was my first job ever, mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I saw when we were, uh, doing one-on-one -on -one interviews, by the time you did four or five interviews, you had about 80% of the stuff you needed to know. And the rest okay. of the interviews are just finessing and, okay. and you know, uh, sort of ironing out the, the, the shades of gray. So we knew very quickly that we had something really different. Okay. Um, so at that point, uh, we had the prototype and the confidence that a, um, a product like that did not exist. Okay. And that that validated it. The reason Kel actually pursued it was because he discovered that it didn't exist when David brought it up. Mm. Uh, that's a that's a whole other story. But um, uh, so I have a question for you. Sorry, yeah. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I really. So do you think? And this is an important question. How much of your success is based on the actual product being great, and how much of it is based on the marketing that you did and on the sales that you did and reaching the right people? Like, do you think it would have just organically grown into something, or do you think that the marketing and the sales that you guys did really helped your product get to where it's going? I can't proportion it for you. It was a combination of things. Right. One of the things is just that you can never replace is years of experience and being objective and listening to the market say it is what it is mm -hmm. um, we happen to come up with something that re was really solving a problem that people the instant they saw it they remembered oh i have that problem yeah they'd right. never but thought how did about you it. tell them that's what i mean like yeah. what was we your didn't have to tell them. we didn't have to tell them they came to you no what we what we do is we get it in front of people and whoever recognizes it they call but us. That's what I mean. How do you get in front of people? What's yeah. your strategy? Do you go to trade shows? Do you go to, is it an online marketing well, strategy? Let me, let me go back to the, to, you know, the, what roles the various things played. Right. The first thing was that we had a product that completely changed the game. And we didn't realize the extent to which it changed the game. Of all things, a handrail. I mean, it seems like such a mundane thing. And you've never seen 
the jaws of architects and construction builders and the biggest developers on the planet looking at this thing and their jaws hitting the table okay. and it still astonishes us. So we had a fundamentally better, different product. Right. What we discovered was better doesn't always work. You can build the better mousetrap and it's almost the easier part because there's nobody pushing back against you. You're in your own little world. The harder part is just dealing with the, the natural dynamic of human nature and resistance to change. Mm -hmm. I think every company on the planet should have a, a VP of, of human psychology. And I'm not, <laughs> uh, it sounds glib, but I'm serious. It's yeah. more about human I'm psychology. I'm alone in my company. Does yeah. that mean I have to be the VP yeah. of human you psychology? Gotta sell, you got to self-analyze. <laughs> um, because we, we've shown it to so many people who, you know, you see their eyes just, you know, go wide open. And I'll give you a good, a good example. The very first trade show we went to, uh, this guy came up to us and he saw our stuff and he was just, he, you know, the, the language was colorful. He couldn't believe what this was like. Mm -hmm. And he leaves the booth and he's about four or five steps away and he turns and he looks at me right in the eye. And this was March of 2013. And he points at me and he says, you and I are going to make a ton of money together. A ton. Is it true? Did it I've come through? I have never heard from him <laughs> since. <laughs> He's still plotting. Not, okay, not, right. a, not a word. I, I emailed him after the okay. show. I called him. So because was the VP of human psychology been able to help you there? Is that what you're saying? You can't do it one-on-one. -on -one. The broader picture is understanding that uh, humans are very resistant to change and that adoption of innovation curve that you've seen where you get the yeah. innovators, it holds true. Yeah. It is a very organic, biologic process where it just sort of creeps its way through and the innovators will latch onto it. And so as I was saying, building the better mousetrap is in some respects the easier part, convincing human nature to change and adopt something new, even if it's better, faster, cheaper, more beautiful, everything. Your hardest struggle. Familiar in many cases with that. Yeah, trumps everything else. Okay, so I gotta ask though, because yeah. oh, go ahead, Fab. No, I mean, um, I just want to understand like who who you're kind of selling or marketing. Are you like direct to consumer? Or are you do you work only with architects and, and stuff like that? Like, how does it is it B two B or are you doing with? some B two C? Or who do you work with now? I'll explain it in the phases of the uh, of the growth of the company. When we started the company, when you start any company, you need a short sell cycle to generate revenue, yeah. and you know, you could go for the big win. Or a big pocket. Or a big... Uh, or a deep pocket. Or, or deep pockets. Uh, that that could kill you too. Um, well, I'll explain why in a second. So we knew that we needed to generate revenue. And also our natural bent was looking at more the medical application of mm -hmm. the, the home ad adaptation, you know, the mobility impaired types. Um, so it all just kind of... I'd, I'd love to say we were super intentional about it, mm -hmm. but we weren't. Uh, we just, you know, we knew that those other sectors were so much bigger and harder to get into, and the sell cycle was so much longer. Uh, you could see an architect today, and the shovel goes in the ground three years from now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and all kinds of pitfalls along the way to knock you off the job. So, um, so we started marketing to the. A short sell cycle homeowner or the or the specialty um, retailers that were um, providers to them, right. uh, which you don't have a lot here in Quebec. It's a different uh, financial model here. So you get outside of Quebec, and there's a lot of these stores that specialize in home adaptation for the mobility impaired. Mm. Okay. Um, so we started just calling on those, going to trade shows, getting our name out there. It was a lot of 
um, that and just networking and one introducing us to the other. We didn't do a lot so of... So B2C um, first is what first fed it? B2C and some, you know, some, well, it was more through, um, there was a distribution step, this, those type of uh, retailers and, yeah. you know, installers. Yeah. Um, and that's where we discovered that human nature, you know, is really our biggest hurdle because these, um, these dealers, it, almost every single person that walks into one of their stores or that calls them, I can guarantee you needs a handrail. Yeah. Mm. And we di we discovered that handrails weren't just a, um, a product innovation for them. It was an entirely new category. They've okay. never sold handrails, even mm. though. So somebody said to us something really critical at the beginning of this whole adventure was there's a big difference between a demographic and a market. There's a massive demographic, but a market is transactions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody goes, oh, all these seniors and yeah. the, the baby boomers. Bullshit. Yeah. You know, it's converting them to, um, you know, converting that whole thing to a transactional uh, environment, which was, uh, that was the bigger challenge. So we started there and it kind of sort of limped along and we, you know, we discovered that these retailers, some of them would take it on and some wouldn't, but there wasn't a real moment. There was no momentum, you know, not that. Um, so sometime in uh, early 2016, I you know, we're just looking at what are all the channels we have. And we were, you know, we knew the commercials there, the builders, et cetera. And I decided to take a look at Amazon. And one look at Amazon, and there was nothing really, never mind like us, like no matter where we go, there's nothing like us. <laughs> um, but there's no real handrail option on Amazon. And the, you, know, you don't know why, but the, the hypotheses are the big boys have tried it and failed. Or they're so calcified and conventional, they didn't even think of it. Mm -hmm. So Probably there's... Pro well, we now... So you're now the leader in handrails on Amazon, I assume. By far. Uh, so we went on Amazon. Can I ask you a question? Yep. Are there true competitors to you? Do they exist? Do competitors exist? Again, it depends on the sector. So handrails are everywhere. So okay. if you're if you're talking about can uh, somebody do a two or three foot handrail from their garage into their house or a continuous handrail that meets code in their house downstairs and across the landing? No, okay. there's nothing like okay. it in the world. Okay. Um, start getting into the commercial stuff. Sure, there's some huge players that have seventy plants around the world. And they're but they're not on Amazon. No, 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 because okay. those require special training, special certification, okay. the whole thing. We can do the same thing with none of that, okay. even for the biggest builders in the world. So we go on Amazon, and uh, you, the first three months, or at least the first 90 days, you're not allowed advertising. You just have to prove to Amazon that you can deliver literally and figuratively. Right. So, uh, so, um, uh, so I just want to make sure we're still running here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our guest is recording the podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. Yeah. Um, so when tech fails, right? So after ninety days, we got our clearance to start promoting on Amazon, which means uh, pay per click and uh, okay. So that, that was the whole process, right? That that was the whole process, and we are obsessive about maintaining our account health on Amazon. Okay, uh, and that you know, can I ask you a question yeah. that. Yeah. What percentage of your sales now are coming from Amazon as opposed to the other? It's a large percentage, but diminishing rapidly because now we're getting a lot of commercial. Okay. We're starting to get 
was uh, it over 50%? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was probably close to 70, but now 75%. That old, the, the longer sales cycle stuff is starting to come in now, I assume. The yes. architects, right. the contractors. Right, the, right. The, the, so we're starting to get... Um, We've been specced into the uh, Hamad International Airport in Qatar, yeah. into the into the Virgin Hotel in Vegas. Yeah. Uh, and know, I know you have a you have a, a distributor in New Zealand, right? Right. Uh, so you're really all over the world right now. Yeah, and and it's very transportable, so it's very yeah. easy. So Amazon served its purpose. You know, it's back to the question: who who are you marketing to? Yeah. So when we started, we were marketing to the homeowner, the consumer, and we still are. And what we discovered was we got the customer dead right. It was exactly the customer. We had the channel dead wrong because it's when it's innovation and change, you have to have huge numbers at the base of the triangle for enough of them to say, I want that. If yeah. you're going to a store that's getting even 10,000 people in there, like um, Shoppers Home Healthcare came to us and they wanted to put us on their, on their e-commerce. Well, it would be a failure because even if they have a million users on there. The numbers, when you start filtering it down, get too small. So you okay. need a mass. It's the it's the long tail marketing. Yeah. So a couple of things happened. So Amazon changed the traje the trajectory of the company. It gave us cash flow. It gave us sustainability, viability. It gave us uh, attractiveness to investors. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had the the revenue growth. Um, and some interesting things we learned from it. We're, now we start getting enough data to know where our business is coming from. Mm -hmm. I mean, down to the zip code, um, which which models are selling better? You know, all the different SKUs and, and you're getting enough robust data to start slicing and dicing it a bit. Um, but um, the other thing we learned is people don't read. They do not read. We have in our headline things like comes in, you know, delivered in two pieces. I mean, we'll get... We'll get calls. Why is this in two pieces? Um, and they do not read. The other thing is when we went on Amazon, the common a bit of advice was you need good pictures. you got to have good pictures. Well, the reality is you... <laughs> <laughs> That's my stomach, by the way, yeah. folks. Yeah. My stomach He's nervous. talking to us. He, Paul gets very nervous yeah. around me. I'm intimidating. Very um, the um, The... Uh, so we went on and we had a professional photographer take what we thought were beautiful pictures, retouched everything. And sales were strong and we were growing well. And then we were introduced to um, a guy here in Montreal who does what, it comes under various names. We call it photorealistic imaging. So he just takes the CAD drawings and recreates the, the product. Right. I mean, right down to the threads of the screw. You know, it's oh, wow. it's everywhere. It's, some people call it 3D imaging, whatever you want. And I have a graph that shows our sales just take off on a vertical line when after we that. after we change the picture, okay. and that was the only thing we did. So you know, you start learning things like that. Um, so, um, what do you feel that the difference was though? Like the picture. But, but what? Oh, the picture. The, the, you look at the two pictures. It, it's one of those things that you don't notice the difference until you see it. Right. And then you put the two pictures side by side. Mm -hmm. And you go, oh, holy cow. These are, that's the difference. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, Rob, your, your product's obviously not a push sell, right? So we're not, we, Fab and I often, in our podcast, we often interview people who have to go out there and sell the cold call and whatnot. And what I find interesting about your product is, yes, if you're dealing with a large a construction company or a consortium or, you know, the, the Hamad, uh, yeah, yeah. The, you know, there's probably some selling to be done, but is it fair to say that a lot of 
the sales you're getting are more inbound based on the marketing that you're putting out there, or is that changing? It's going to change. Right now, almost everything we have is through um, what I would say just um, serendip not serendipitously, it was with intent, intersecting with the right people in the digital space that happen to, you know, be ready to buy. And it's especially something like this. It's a waste of time if you go into somebody who's not ready to buy a handrail. Yeah, right. So how do you find them, right? And so you have to put yourself out there broadly, widely enough, deep enough that so other than working, Amazon, what's been your strategy, your marketing strategy? It, it's it's really been um, Amazon and online, and we've been to trade shows. So you know you start building that, but mostly it's just been real simple SEO and Amazon. I'd like to say it was uh, now it's. You dig a little deeper. It's not just being there. It's the obsessiveness with which we kept our account health on Amazon mm. at the top because what happens is now when somebody searches for us on Amazon, we're at the top of the list yeah. um, and it spills over into into SEO, into right. Google. So now people are finding it all over the place. Okay. And uh, so when um, somebody is looking for a handrail, and that, that's who we're. What we're doing is trying to be in the right place digitally. When somebody does a search for handrail or whatever it is, they find us. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, one of the things we learned was it's not always obvious how they're going to look for you. So we started getting calls from architects or getting specced in. Like I'd get a call from a builder saying the architect specced you into this project. And uh, so through the builder, I got through, you know, back to the architect. I wanted to find out why. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. So and, and they're and uh, the wonderful thing is they're willing to pick up the phone, you know. Oh, that's uh, great. Yeah. Um, and so we uh, well, the, it was it was funny when we went on Amazon or you doing any any kind of pay per click or keyword stuff, you go with your best guess at the time, yeah. you know, to start it. And then on Amazon, there's a report to sellers that show you not only what your keyword is doing, but the exact phrase that buyers are entering to get to you. Okay. Mm. And right away, within a couple of weeks. We were very surprised that the f the term handrail brackets was near the top as a revenue generator. Oh, really? Yeah. Handrail brackets, and this was consumers, and and then as we discovered, to professionals. So it's one of those lessons about the things that you you think are obvious, and your business plan can never predict. A business yeah. plan is a broad uh, document about what might possibly happen, and it's none of it. None of none of it does, and it changes every. You know, I gotta got ask you a question, yeah. Rob. So. You've got all this in front of you, you know, and, and how much of it do you think was sort of, okay, we have a really good product, and how much do you think boiled down to the right strategy, or was it all hit and miss and you guys kept tweaking? We missed, our misses were, um, you need the misses, uh, but the misses were um, the misses that you want that weren't fatal. So the beauty of going into the market, starting with the consumer you mess up one of those, you might have lost a $200 sale and a, and a consumer. Uh -huh. You mess up a hospital, you're done, yeah. Yeah. right? Uh, so um, this, um, the product in all this is, uh, I'd confidently say, secondary to everything. Really? It is. The product, what we're doing is we are taking something and just making people's lives easier, simpler. If you look at the things that people want to spend time on, and need to do well if there's an inverse relationship between how much of a pain in the ass it is and how much time they want to spend on yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Nobody's interested in spending time on handrails, and we know that <laughs> they they want to eliminate any kind of friction. So 
Uh, a designer doesn't want to have to battle with their with their customer on whether they like the look. So we want to make them as gorgeous as possible. So you eliminate that discussion. The contractor doesn't want to have to. But figure isn't that very subjective, though? What, what it is. So you're not gonna. Yeah, you're not gonna please everybody. So we make it as beautiful as possible for a segment of the market that thinks it's beautiful, and it's a yes or no. Are handrails? I mean, are they necessary evils? Really, at one point? Sure. You go to the U.S. now, and every uh, the the building code for the um, for residential. It's very tricky to comply to. Okay. Uh, so without getting into the details, it's being enforced more and more. And the only people really on the planet who can do it quickly and easily is overnight you is us. There you, go. you know, we got a call from a couple in Los Angeles. It was a Thursday morning. Their mother would not be let out of the hospital until, until there was a code compliant handrail on the wall. Yeah. And it was on the wall, designed, shipped, and installed from Montreal to Los Angeles by 1 o'clock Friday afternoon. Okay. Oh, so, so we've made our, our obsession is about making the whole process understandable, easy, simple. The handrail is sort of the manifestation of it, uh, and that's what's important to the uh, to the customer is how little time can I spend on okay. this thing. Mm -hmm. So, I'm not used to uh, you know in our like again our podcast we don't often speak to people who are uh, really on uh, you know it's it's. A, some point it's a specialty product but like i said you're not pushing a lot but i want to know you rob what's, what's oh oh the push versus the pull so at yeah. this stage it's mostly uh let's call it pull um we're just out there and intersecting we're visible to enough people in that base of the triangle that, so that, they, that they'll happening. contact us okay. and they get you want to somehow intersect with people who get it if i have yeah. to if i have to convince you forget it the, okay. the, okay. you know first of all there's enough people out there that get it okay. so i'm not going to you know spend time on that um and probably i'm not going to convince you that you need a handrail and and a, you know it's it, interesting because fab and i talk about this stuff a lot right because a lot of people the people we deal with need to tell or i don't want to say push but they need to reach out to people who may need their services or right. their products and this is very different obviously and there's there's those two worlds there's a lot of things are different but yeah you could you could do it except in our world when did you realize that when did you realize that this is going to be that kind of product did you know very very early on very early on maybe we didn't articulate it that specifically but very early on we realized it was going to be like that because you can't find the people that you have to push to it's yeah. not an identifiable audience yeah. so somebody said Oh, you got to go to contractors. Well, how do you find contractors who are a one one guy operation with a pickup yeah. truck and a, mm -hmm. and a trailer? Yeah, you don't find them. So they need to come to you. You got to make it so. And so then, Amazon's also your marketing platform. It's right? a marketing yeah. platform for sure because builders your transactional sales and your marketing. It's a platform. search engine. So yeah. a lot of a lot of along with Google, you know, the SEO or uh, with with organic search. A lot of trades and architects and professionals are using Amazon as a search engine. They have okay. no intent of buying. It's just a great search okay. engine for yes. some things. So we never really pushed um, because we couldn't find the people to push to. Okay. So, you know, at the outset, our business plan was, oh, let's market this to occupational therapists because there's 150,000 of them yeah. on the road or 100,000 of them on the road in North America every day. And they're going to three to six homes a day. So they're seeing 300 to 600,000 potential of our customers every single day. Mm -hmm. What we didn't consider or realize was there's no way in hell to get to the occupational therapist because they're on the road every day. Mm -hmm. And they have eight zillion things to worry about. And it's not going to work. So we've just got to do that broad scope marketing where they see it enough and remember to do it. But, uh, so that's, that was basically it is you couldn't identify the people to push to. So you had to put yourself out there. So the people want it, not that we're the iPod, but it's the kind of, 
it's the same kind of sentiment. When Steve Jobs pulled that first iPod out of his pocket, everybody goes, I know what that is. Mm-hmm. Because it was the people who had identified the problem. If you didn't have the problem and you didn't care about music and you didn't have a bunch of CDs falling out of your car and your pockets everywhere mm-hmm. and you didn't have a shitty disc man, like, what is that thing? Yeah. Same thing. If you got to somehow get yourself in front of the people who've experienced the pain or have the need for yeah. it. We can't find, they got to find, we have to make it so they find us. Cool. So, um, so what's next? Like you talked about the Amazon and the process and this and that, like what's... So we're, uh, good timing on that question. So we are just hit that new phase of the company where we are actively launching uh, to the commercial sector. Right. So that is what we call the, the um, specified products. And, it's, and the, the audience is architects, uh, the designers and architectural firms, the specifiers, uh, the spec writers. And specifying, we discovered, is a whole discipline unto itself. Put up a build the bell center. At some point, there's got to be a shopping list to get all the stuff. That's the spec writer. So how do you get onto the list and known to the spec writers and the architects? And then there's the builders. What are you guys doing to to know that or to get there? There are services. So spec writing is a huge, huge discipline and very complicated. And it's a whole, it's a whole, like I said, whole discipline. So there are, there are spec writing software platforms. Mm -hmm. Now they're cloud-based. So you get in part of that. You start uh, getting visible to architects, to builders. You, um, you, you start subdividing it. You don't just go after, say, architects. You, knowing what our product can do, where it would be most useful, uh, and some of the experience we've already had with architects and where they're putting us and why they're choosing us, drill it down. So one of the things we can do is um, the lowest cost... Uh, quickest turnaround on LED lit handrails. Mm-hmm. We we just uh, developed that, and so who's going to be doing that outgoing stuff? Who's going to be talking to these guys and telling you about that? Do you have a team? Do you have a force? Do you have an individual? No, we've broken it down to such a small, critical group. audience that you has such leverage. Pick up the phone, and we can just uh, yeah, pick up the phone and and uh, get to the right places. So, um, uh, this is uh, sort of in in well. Um, in development, but so we have LED lit handrails. That's an all-in-one solution. That's dead simple, cheaper, faster than any other LED handrail. Um, and all the movie theaters in North America are being gutted. Uh, they've got to compete with Netflix, so they're making them these experiences, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you touch anything in that movie theater, anything that was grandfathered in before is now not grandfathered anymore, yeah. mm-hmm. and you got to up you know, get everything up to code. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's 10 or 15 architecture firms in North America that deal with that market sector. Okay. That's, an afterno- that's an afternoon of calls. Okay. Or um, hospitality or hotels, right? There's, you know, a handful of architects that okay. do that. So, so that's the next step. That's what's coming in 2020. Do you yeah. find, though, that your reputation, like in the B2C, B2C space on Amazon, and that helps you with the architect? Like... They already know your name. Do they already know? They don't know our name, but they you know, they absolutely see the reviews, and we're obsessive about you know keeping the reviews positive and doing whatever we have have to do to to um, you know keep our five star rating. So right. it's you know, do I know that you know? Uh, can I quantify it? No, but you know that um, you know 
a lot of them, it's just sort of anecdotal. We saw it in the reviews and, you know, yeah, sure. And look, being a sales guy, I got to ask you this question. So you'll be doing a little bit of outreaching now. Yeah. So what's your, do you have a sales, have you established a process of what you want to do to talk to these people? I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but is there like... No, the plan's getting being written right now. Okay. So we were very fortunate. We've, you know, just through... Um, I, I don't know if you've ever listened to Startup Podcast with uh, Guy Raz, and he inter interviews these... Uh, we don't listen to other podcasts. Yeah, well, <laughs> th this is one you want to listen to, because he interviews the founders of some of the iconic companies. Uh -huh. And uh, one of the best interviews I heard was with the two of the four founders, Warby Parker. And at the end of every interview, he says, how much was work and how much was good luck? Hard work and, and, and yeah. luck. And it's it, the answer is always, it's both. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, timing. just timing. Timing and hard work. Timing, hard work. But they, they put it beautifully. They said deliberate serendipity, where you put yourself in those environments where you don't know for sure what's going to happen, and, but it's, it's um, high probability that you're going to start meeting the right people or learning the right things, mm -hmm. and you don't know for sure. Okay. So this is what's happened to us a lot. We just start going to these events and trade shows and... Uh, one person leads us to a next, yeah. and we don't blow that off. We say, okay, we don't prejudge. Let's talk to that person. Somebody says, hey, you got to meet this person or talk to this person. Uh, we do it, and then we'll let our, you know, we'll decide. So through that whole um, network, and it, it all kind of builds on itself, um, we, um, I was invited to uh, a conference in, Boulder, uh, Colorado, that I went to in October. Mm -hmm. And this has been going on, this conference has been going on for a couple of years. Now, talk about getting niche. This is a conference only for manufacturers of building materials. Okay. Right? Um, it's like, uh, so it's, there were 30 different manufacturers there and a number of vendors and, you know, consultants and agencies. Not only are there large agencies, I was sitting there the whole time going, oh, I found my people. They were all going through the same thing, dealing with the same customers, the same sort of broad generic issues. And some of the, the vendors there were so specific to what we do, and it's a huge business for them too, is that they specialize in marketing and strategic planning to the specifying market. So to the architects, the builders, et cetera, et cetera. So they, that's what they do and they know. So the big thing we learned or we knew was you know broadly what to do if you're going to go into a new um, a new sector. So we want to go into that. Well, it's not just that we need to speak to architects. It's which architect. Or you know you got to go to trade shows. Which trade shows mm -hmm. are worth it? And, you know, we don't have, you know, we don't have the time or the money to, let's learn by somebody else's learnings. Not, yeah. you know, why make our own mistake and waste our own time? And it's... So it gets you really, you get to the right people and, you know, you, you start to, um, you know, they help you with the, the critical assessment of stuff. Okay. This is great, Rob. I want to change speeds. Sure. Um, I want to ask you one more question about Promenade, then I want to talk about you. So, mm -hmm. so if I was to ask That's you, where it goes downhill. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's where it gets, that's where it gets interesting in a different way. Um, Rob, let's say in five years or in 10 years, where are you hoping Promenade's going to be? What do you, is it, is it, uh, is it something you want to 
grow? Is it something you guys want to sell? What do you, what do you, how do you guys see this? Like, what, what does the future dictate for a product like this? Because it's really interesting, right? Because I, I see something, I don't often get to talk to someone who's basically invented a product that is number one on Amazon, right? So what, what does that mean for you guys in five or 10 years? Where does that bring you? We feel like we've won the lottery a bit. I mean, th this is stuff that happens to other people. It is very, very, very rare. It did happen to other people. It didn't happen to me. Right. But the, <laughs> but but you, you read all these stories about the Zuckerbergs, who's a whole other story and should be fired, but that's a whole other thing. Um, uh, Tell us what you really think. <laughs> this, is, this is a guy who built Facebook based okay. on what... Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Stay where you are. Stay so, where you are. No. Um, um, but you, you read all these stories about these, these um, you know, skyrocketing companies, you know, and uh, whatever it is, Uber, Facebook, you know, all, all, the, all those iconic ones. But when you get into it, you realize the reason you're reading about them is they are the exception. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. are the exception to the rule. So and, you guys are the exception? And we, we don't feel like we're the, we, you know, we're couple of Joes that figured something out and and we're fortunate to stick with it um, but we realize that this is something special as mundane like I say it's it's just this run-of-the-mill type of product but the impact it's having I mean the impact is having. we get calls from homeowners who we've changed their lives because they they haven't been able to get up the two steps from their sunken living room because they have no knees yeah. you know it's 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 That's unbelievable so five years from now. Um, five years from now, it could go anywhere. Um, what are you hoping? Do you have a five-year plan? Like, what is it? Uh, or a two-year plan? What, what's your long-term plan? What's your well, longest-term plan? Look, the longest-term... next week. No, no. Longest-term plan is probably about two years. And then... And you know what? We can't... W I suspect that some of the big players will be very interested in us because they'll see the potential. Okay. Um, what we'll do and when we'll do it, I don't know. But at some point, you retire, right? So <laughs> yeah, I'm not waiting to go to the grave. Uh, you know, running the company. Uh, so at some point you're out. Um, but how you get out, we don't know. Okay. So the, all right. All right. I want to change speeds now. Yeah. Totally different direction. Uh, I want us to tell you, tell us a little bit about you. Um, you know, it's interesting. Our last guest was a guy who did a lot of motor racing when he was young, the motorsport racing, and you were an elite athlete. So tell us a little bit about your swimming. Sure. And how has it influenced who you've become as a businessman and has it influenced you as a businessman? You can answer any one of those in whatever yeah, direction yeah. you want. Well, sir, to put it in full context, it's I, the irony of me being this in this business, you can't put a number on how big that irony is because I can't hammer a nail. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I don't like that stuff. I don't drywall. I don't paint. I don't do any of that stuff. It's But it's that curiosity and that of figuring out that puzzle and there's so much involved in it other than actually hammering, uh, you know, screwing, you know, you know, working a drill. Um, but uh, so I, I came into this, like I said, through being open to it and that deliberate serendipity and somebody called with what I thought was a harebrained idea. And then I knew we've been friends since we were little kids. I know how brilliant he is. And if he was interested, then, okay, then, then, uh, then it was worth looking into. Um, how the swimming helped? Well, I learned a couple of things in swimming. The the first thing, you know, everybody says, oh, you know, athletes, uh, and now that, remember, this is back in the uh, 70s, you know, 80s that I was swimming. 
um, you really learn goal setting and, and objectives. And I think that's the, the easy sort of um, easy escape answer. We had objectives, but objectives are useless, absolutely useless. And in the path and the intent on how you get there. The actions. I'm happy you're saying this. I say this all the time in our podcast. You know, because we, and I look back and we didn't have that. We said, okay, I want to go to the Olympics. And I got close and I was on, you know, you know, swam internationally. But it was as a consequence and it wasn't in with enough intent. I didn't go into um, every practice saying, what am I supposed to be accomplishing here? Or what am I supposed to be accomplishing? Are you selling yourself short a little bit? Because you did learn the discipline. I remember you telling me you get, you get up every morning, like whatever, four in the morning to go to practice every morning. It was a generic, it was a generic discipline. I'm, but, the, but you the, did it. Yes, I did it. So, so getting to the second point, more than the, more than the objective setting and the discipline, uh, what I really learned is the feel. There's a feel and a state of being that you don't you don't have unless you do it. So um, it's that that whole mindset that I got to be up and it's up to me and then that alarm goes off at five in the morning, I'm out of bed. So that gets sort of hardwired into you. Um, with, um, and the other thing that probably you can't recreate uh, just by talking about it, and you can do it in all kinds of things, but in sports, you learn the feeling of having to perform when the gun goes off you mm-hmm. don't have a choice and it's the feeling of performing under pressure mm-hmm. it's the 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 feeling of you're on the block and that gun goes you don't have a choice to say you know what? i want to start this in a couple of minutes i'm not quite you got to go mm-hmm. so it's that that feeling that uh you, you can't replicate um i've stood up to make speeches to deliver all kinds of talks First of all, when I was younger, there's no way I was speaking to anybody in public. So it did that for me. Um, and I stand up to make a presentation. And if it's a high pressure situation, it's not kind of like getting on the blocks. It's spooky. It is exactly. exactly. It is exactly. Okay. So there's that. Um, the other thing is it exposed me to the top athletes in the world, world record holders. Some of my best friends, world record holders. Um, you 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 exist in this environment of um, elite performance and you realize that you don't get starstruck anymore. You respect, but you don't get intimidated by people anymore. Okay. Uh, it's that feeling of being around greatness. is yeah. so, and, and you learn that separate the accomplishment from the person. Some yeah. of the world record holders were complete you know, idiots, uh, but they had a talent for it. And some of them are just the most phenomenal people in the world. So... You know, you, you learn that. Um, and probably the biggest thing I learned, and I remember the moment the where I was when our, my coach first said it to us. He said, people are more afraid of success than they are of failure. And they will go to unbelievable lengths, whether consciously or subconsciously, to sabotage their own success. Mm. And it's true. You look around, people will... Because success is very, very unfamiliar. We fail, call it fail, more often. And it's a very familiar state. I wanted to get this done and I wanted to try this and I didn't quite do it. So it's more familiar. But you get to the pinnacle of it. You're standing at the top of the mountain. Well, there's only one place to go. And it's a very unusual feeling to to win like that. And and. And people, you, you start getting close, and all of a sudden your body and brain starts doing weird things. Um, I did it myself. Yeah. 
you know, I was swimming out of my mind, like, uh, one summer. Like, I, it was, I, I couldn't believe the times I was doing. Mm-hmm. Fell off my bike and broke my wrist. <laughs> you know, something stupid. Um, and, that, and I still think, well, how, how, how could that was that changed? stupidity and I was just so exuberant and I just had too much energy? Or was it that? I don't know, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but I, I, That's I, interesting. So you, you actually think that you may have fallen off your bike by just not paying attention and not realizing how important it was for you to maintain your physical form. Sure, it was something stupid. I, I, you know, uh, I see it all the time in, in people. You know, they're, they're just getting there and they'll do something, you know, and you go, what the hell did they do that for? Okay. What do you think about that? Um, so no, what's, the, what's the parallel with your business here? Because it's well, interesting. So you're saying, so now you're moving up. So does it make it more interesting? Are you better, are you better equipped yes. at that success uh, curve? Yeah. One you're of not the, as arrogant. You always know you have to keep working. What does it What does it say to you? Well, one of the things that I regret not doing in in swimming, and not you know, doesn't keep me up nights, but um, we didn't do things with enough intent. We weren't curious enough, so we just went and swam and and um, literally you know pounded away. And you're swimming around all these people who are national record holders, world record holders, and I never sat. We didn't sit down with each other and say. How are you doing this? Why yeah. do you do that? Why, we weren't curious enough. We were kids. Yeah. So, um, and we also didn't, we didn't take the risks that we could take in completely risk-free environments. So try a different way of swimming this race. It's a house league meet. Okay. Do yeah. something different. So I learned about being curious. I learned about uh, trying things uh, that nothing, is, you know, you got to watch it. I mean, business, you, you can't have a big, huge financial uh, you know, failure because uh, that's the end of it. Um, it's uh, it is not being afraid to talk to anybody. You know, okay. you, you go into the, that's why you're on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, I honestly, I wouldn't have done this years ago. Um, okay. But having met, you know, the the greatest and the best in the world, these these people are iconic, and they just sit down and talk to you. They, yeah. You know, so. Um, it's, you know, I, th- I think because the big thing it comes down to is can you talk to people? Yeah. You know, now, I know something about you that, I, and I wonder if you realize this, but you're, you're a very disciplined person. And I think you're, I think you're, you're um, underestimating how important that is in your success. Um, and I wonder if you even realize it because you've been disciplined since you're a little kid to go to the swimming pool. It seems to be just part of your life. But you're very disciplined. You get up early every morning. You do what you need to do. I know you even work on the weekends. I mean... Are you so much in it that you don't realize that it, this has been part of your success and you say, well, that's just a given? Because I, I see every business owner that I speak to has yeah. has to have that enormous amount of discipline, whether it was being successful at swimming when you were younger or now as a business owner. Uh, I, I think that discipline is, is sometimes under uh, underrated as to how important that is. Going back to the, my comment about what it feels like, and it becomes second nature. So, uh, so you know, it's not even question so, anymore. I, I, I don't question it, but you're you're seeing me in a you know in a particular environment where I am disciplined. I've worked in a lot of jobs that I just absolutely hated them, and could not o- could not overcome that that natural discipline. Could not overcome my distaste for where for <laughs> where I was working. Uh, so it's you know that's it's, can I can I I want to stop on that because that's yeah. really interesting because. You were very disciplined. You did swimming. 
you did well. Now you're disciplined in what you do, but you're saying there's a period of time in your life you're working for someone else. I guess you hadn't found that job that gave you passion. So right. what would you say to a young entrepreneur, who a lot of them, we hope, are yep. not seeing our podcast, what do you say to them, to people who were disciplined or maybe in that phase where they're totally unmotivated? Like, should they change jobs? Should they be looking for other jobs? Should they be taking that risk? Like, what do you say to them? Well, the first thing I'd say is I hate unsolicited advice. <laughs> um, it, it's, uh, They're it, choosing to listen to this podcast. So don't worry about yes, it. <laughs> if we listened to, to the unsolicited advice we got about this business, we would be out of business so fast. Uh, I'd say two things about unsolicited. It's, it's unsolicited and it's rarely advice. Um, <laughs> but uh, That'll be the title of our podcast. Yeah. Totally. yeah. Uh, no, but I think, uh, you know what? Um, uh, I, would put, I would put it in context. So of, what would you say to yourself? Well, that's that's okay. how I would put it. Um, I, at some point, was always kept my mind open for that thing that I thought was going to give me the passion and that fit yeah. with me. And you have to be really brutally honest with yourself. It's Is, is this what I... I'm really good at, do I really enjoy this? And decide what it is you're doing and, and why you're doing it. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just as fair to say you're doing it because you've got this passion to solve this riddle. And it's just as honest to say, I'm doing it because I'm working so I can do other things. And that's what's driving me. Um, I think the so biggest thing you need thing, to understand why you're doing this. You got to really so understand why you're doing. I'm either going to work nine to five to pay for my horseback riding passion on the weekend, yep. and that's okay. And I'm just doing. I'm putting in the hours, or I really hate this job, and I'm willing to sacrifice to really find the thing that's going to motivate me because I have to love what I do nine to five. I wasn't born to be in business. I don't think I'm a natural business person. I think I've learned how to do it and how to communicate. And there's all you know, there's characteristics I have that have allowed me to do it mm-hmm. um but you, but you you know had, had i followed what i really wanted to do and not you know followed the path that you know my mother you know passed away 11 years ago and is still hoping i'm going to be a doctor <laughs> um, but um i i never you know had i followed what i was naturally interested in and what I was, my natural bent was, I would have been in something in liberal arts like history or political science okay. or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, that wasn't me. And through a series of decisions that, you know, one thing led to the other, I had to, you know, I had to make a choice and somehow earn a living. So I ended up on the business side of things. And, uh, you know, people would call us an entrepreneur, but I think that there's two kinds of entrepreneurs, and I'm type two. Uh, type one is the kid that comes out of the womb and is just constantly thinking about business ideas, yeah. and that's what they want to do. Yeah. I'm here because I hate corporations. I, <laughs> I, I, I can't stand the corporate world, and it's okay. my fallback. And somebody said, oh, it's very risky. I said, no, risky for me is being in a corporation because I'd get fired. Yeah, okay. I don't I don't get it. I can't play the game. I can't sing the song. I'm not mm-hmm. going to go to the team stuff. I'm not holding hands. I can't <laughs> do that. I'm not made for a corporation. So my only other choice was to keep my eyes and my mind and my heart and everything open for that thing that came along. But you seem to have passion for what you do, though. Oh, I love yeah. it. I absolutely I mean, love it. I'm thrilled. There's a lot of strategy. I mean, there's a lot of strategy in what you're doing. And I it's also seems... very creative, right? Yeah. It, it is super super creative we're dealing with some of the most phenomenal people and we keep meeting phenomenal people okay. and i'm 
blessed. Like I feel, you know, not only did we win, I'm not saying that we won the lottery financially. We won the lottery in terms of doing something you enjoy, doing with people I enjoy. Like my yeah. partner and I have known each other for 55 years. Aren't you like 57? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, 59. Yeah, no, we met when I was six. Okay. So we've known each other that long. And we drove, I mean, we've been on the road, and I remember we had a road trip from here, stops along the way, all the way to Windsor, and then Windsor back, and we talked the whole way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can, And we just enjoy being with each other. We have our clear differences. We know what they are. Um, we feel like we won the lottery in terms of who we get to work with, uh, the, the places we get. The, the um, I mean, how can you not, you know, not like the accolades where somebody calls you up, some homeowner that says, "I can't believe how yeah, I can walk up, and use my house again." Or I don't have or, to. Or, or, or they just, or you just did something. We saved this woman's sell sale of her house. Yeah, you know, it had nothing to do with that. We get all kinds of calls for that, and so I mean, so that's how, great. How, so how, it really, it really talks to the person too. Well, look, Rob, I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, as your final thoughts. On Rob in the business, if there are any, or you can just say, "That's it." Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta synthesize this stuff at the end. Um, uh, Here's a liberal arts guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. It is. It is. Pauses, no, <laughs> the, the biggest thing is, we can do this because we have the foundation of a phenomenal idea that my partner had. He's a brilliant, brilliant industrial designer and he knows manufacturing. And it's all the, all the other stuff that goes around it. You can have the best product in the world. If it arrives and the package is all bust up or it's late or the instructions are crappy or you don't have the right stuff, the whole thing you know, falls apart. So right. it's all those, it's the whole universe of what you're doing and understand why you're, why the customer's buying it. So I had a uh, discussion with my kids recently and we were talking about parenting and, and conversations and something I said was whenever we got into whatever that disagreement was or, you know, uh, conflict, I wish I remembered more often, it was rarely, if ever, about the words and the event at that moment. It was always about something else yeah. mm-hmm. and it was manifesting at that moment. And so... What we do is not about the handrail. It's about that woman who we got her out of the hospital or yeah. this woman who we saved the yeah. sale of her house. Yeah. Um, this guy who saved the budget on this massive project he was doing because the architect didn't budget it. He just said, put these ones in. And yeah. so it was. it's all those things you do. Um, and uh, and that. But the bigger thing is it is so incremental and organic. It's not, you know... The, the whole thing is not uh, you're going to find something and boom. The, the thing about business is it's just finding out these little bits and putting these little pieces of the puzzle together. It's the little bit, actions the every, that all, you do every day that bring you to the it's, it's all the little things and you have to start with the big picture. But it's, you know, it's really a, a, a very... Devils in the details. Devils in the details and also be aware of the kind of time it's going to take. Yeah. You know, that that the overnight successes. So does it help that you only need five hours of sleep every night? Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Or are you just really tired? (laughs) (laughs) You get get a little punch drunk and you agree to do podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's perfect. This is where we have to end. Thanks, Rob.
Thanks again for listening to Paul and I today. Uh, if you're enjoying our sales and marketing podcast, please, please go and review us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen to this show. It would mean a lot. Thank you so much and see you soon.